Now, in thinking about what I wanted to say to you after the Kalahari retreat, what I wanted to say to you students who went to Kalahari retreat, and then to the rest of you in the congregation as well, uh, I, I thought about it, and I kind of settled on this. The Kalahari retreat was awesome. It was. Some of you came to know Christ for the first time last weekend, and we praise God for that. As all of you said, your, your faith and your walk with Christ was strengthened in ways that it hadn't been before last weekend, and we, and we praise God for that. However he worked in your lives, we praise God for that, and that's why we go to retreats like that. But my, my word to you this morning is this. Don't expect the rest of your Christian life to be like the Kalahari retreat. Now, don't, like I said, don't get me wrong. Retreats, conferences, camps, uh, experiences like them are, are awesome. I've been to them myself. We, we need those in our lives, and they're good. They're things that God uses. Uh, but as an older brother in Christ who's been where you are not that long ago, I want to tell you, students, the Christian life will not always be like it was last weekend. At the excitement and that spiritual high that you felt while you were there, that you might still be feeling right now, again, we praise God for that. But having been there myself, I can tell you, at some point, it will wear off. That there won't always be the, the flashing lights. There won't always be the, the fun and exciting music, like you guys explained up here, that we had Friday night and stuff. This should go without saying, but there's not always going to be a giant indoor water park at your disposal to go use whenever you please. There's not always going to be an arcade to go and, and just have fun and, and play games in. There won't always be 10 of your best friends staying in a hotel room with you. There, always, there won't always be a giant room of inflatables to hang out on like we had Saturday night. I don't expect the Christian life to always be like the Kalahari retreat. Because it won't be. Now, like I said, uh, retreats, conferences like those, uh, they're, they're awesome. God uses those as mile markers in our lives, as moments we can look back on that were monumental in bringing change. Times when he really clearly did something in our lives and kind of changed the direction of our lives. I have those experiences as well, like many of you do. But, but again, what I want to, to get at this morning is that the real substance, the real kind of meat and potatoes of the Christian life does not consist in those mountaintop experiences at, at camps and retreats and conferences. What I want to tell you is that the real substance of the Christian life consists in the, the everyday experiences, the, the mundane activities of day-to-day life. It consists in getting up out of bed early every morning to face the worries and struggles of each day. It consists in going to work in school with your classmates and with your, your teachers and your coaches. 
The, the, the Christian life consists in eating and drinking on normal meals on a, on a normal day. And, and in going to your sports practices or dance practices or, or music or, or theater or whatever activities you're a part of. Right? The, the Christian life consists in your, the local church, which you call home. Right, so what I want to tell you today is that the, the, the Christian life, the real substance of it, is lived out in the everyday routine of normal life. And, and all of you adults in here, I'm sure, will attest to that. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't want to kill your passion or your zeal or your, or your excitement that you're feeling right now. By all means, I hope that your passion and your zeal and your excitement that you have after the Kalahari retreat, I hope that continues Every single day and every day in the rest of your life as a follower of Christ. If anything, what I want to do is this. I want you to learn how to grow and develop that passion that you felt at the Kalahari retreat in everyday normal life as a Christian. Because everyday Christian life won't be like the Kalahari retreat. It won't be like that Christian camp that you went to. It won't be like that retreat or that conference that you went to. And don't we all wish it would for those of us who have been to something like that. But again, what I want is for you to learn to how to faithfully walk with Christ daily so that that passion you felt at Kalahari, that will be every day in your life as a believer. And to do that, I want to look at a passage in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Hebrews, chapter 10. Uh, if you need a Bible, go ahead and put a hand up, and then somebody from the back would be happy to bring you one. But Hebrews, chapter 10. And it's going to be verses 19 through 26. Uh, this passage has much to say about the Christian life. Which is why I want to share it with you today. All right, let me start by reading verses 19 through 21. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, now, these three verses give us kind of the, the main idea, the overarching principle for this whole passage that we're about to read. And the big idea that the author of Hebrews gives us here is this, that Jesus is our great priest, our, our intercessor, our mediator, and by his blood we have confidence to enter into the holy places of God. Jesus is our great priest, and by his blood we have confidence to enter the holy places of God. Now, when he refers to holy places in this verse, he's not referring to a, a certain physical location. He's not talking about th this place or, or, or that place. He, he's talking about kind of a spiritual reality. The, the spiritual reality that we, as believers in Jesus, can enter into the presence of God through the blood of Jesus. 
It's a spiritual location he's talking about here, not a physical location. And that's the first thing I really want to drive home to you this morning. That there is no specified physical location on earth that is set apart and designated as the holy place, as that place where we go to worship and draw near to God. Worship is not limited to one specific place or location. It's a a spiritual reality that anywhere, anytime, any place, we, through the blood of Jesus that has cleansed us, can now draw near to God. And so for you who were at the Kalahari retreat last weekend, you may now think of the Kalahari Conference Center as a holy place. Because you experienced the worship and intimacy with God that you had not experienced before. And that's awesome. But do not fall into thinking that it's only at the Kalahari Conference Center that I can worship God like that. Don't fall into thinking that that's the holy place. That I wish I could just go to that holy place again so I could worship like that again. And we all have places like that we can think of. I can name places in my life where I've had uh, very uh, intense worship experiences with the living God. And I can fall into that temptation to think of those places as holy places. But the reality from this passage is that there is no specific place where we have to go to step into the holy presence of God. But that the spiritual reality is that anywhere, anytime, any place can now become a holy place because by the blood of Jesus we can stand and step into the presence of God anytime. And because of that, because we can do that, the Kalahari Conference Center can become a holy place of worship. This room on a Sunday morning or Wednesday night can and does become a holy place of worship. Your bedroom, a room at your house, the back seat of your car, a seat on your bus home from school can become a holy place when we enter into the presence of God in prayer and in his word and through the singing of his praises. Any time, any place, This is the big idea of this passage that he gives us first. That through Jesus, our great high priest, through his blood, we can enter into the holy places of God. We can engage in in spiritual intimacy with him anywhere and anytime. There is no specified location that is a holy place on this earth. And so next time you go to pray, next time you go to do your devotions, or, or whatever it may be, Maybe try pausing before you pray. Thank God that you can enter into his holy places through the blood of Jesus. Say, Father, thank you that I can draw near to you now through the finished work of your son, through Jesus, my priest, that I can now step into your holy presence. And I just pray that your spirit uh, would direct me now, make this a, a holy time and a holy place. And that can happen anywhere. Anytime.
I move on. Look at verse 22 with me. So in the the first three verses, 19 through 21, he gives us this, this big idea, this overarching principle. And that principle is going to drive what he says the next three verses. All right, look at verse 21. Or verse 22, excuse me. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. So you think back in verses 19 through 21, he tells us, since we have this, since we have Jesus as our great priest and can enter into the holy places of God, he now says what we should do in light of that. He now gives us commands to follow in light of the fact that we can enter into the holy places of God. And he does that in verse 22 by saying, let us. Now, when he says, let us, this is an exhortation. This is an urging. He's, he's calling his readers to action along with him. It would be like me saying, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we are hungry, let us go eat lunch. Which many of us probably plan to do. Might be thinking right now, even though it's 945. So uh, if I were to do that, I would be calling you to action with me in light of the fact that we're hungry. And that's what he's doing here. He's calling them to action with him in light of the fact that they can draw near to God in his holy places through the blood of Jesus. And the action he calls them to here in verse 22 is to draw near to God. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. So in the previous verse, he he tells us that we can draw near to God in his holy places. And now in this verse, he calls us to actually do it. And he tells us to to draw near with with a a true heart and a full assurance or a full confidence of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean and bodies washed. The the idea is that when we go to draw near to God, we, we draw near with confidence and assurance that he will allow us into his presence because we are clean and pure before him. When he says that we have been sprinkled and washed or cleaned, he's emphasizing our ongoing state of cleanness. So he's not merely talking about a completed action in the past, not saying you at one time in the past were washed and that's now completed, but he's saying, so in the past you were cleaned and your state of cleanness now continues into the future. You live in this state of cleanness now. This is the the difference between me saying, I woke up this morning, emphasizing the, the fact that I woke up and that's a completed action in the past that it's done and over with? Or me saying, I have woken up today. Emphasizing that I woke up in the past and I'm still awake right now. This is kind of what he's saying when he talks about being sprinkled and washed. That we were in the past, we were sprinkled clean and washed by the blood of Christ And now that we live in this state of cleanness, of having been washed by the blood of Jesus. And so what he's saying is that now, because we have been washed, because we live in this state of cleanness, we can now draw near to God with a full assurance of faith. 
And like they shared up here, we, we draw near to God confident and assured not by what we have done, not by what we can do, not by what we can offer to God, but we can draw near with assurance of what Christ has done on our behalf. By, by, by the purity, by the blood that he has offered and cleansed us with. And so from this word, this verse, my word to you is, let us, brothers and sisters, draw near to God. Let us, since we can, since we can through Jesus, our great high priest, by, by his blood, enter into the holy places of God, then let us do it. Let us draw near with a heart uh, full of assurance and confidence in the work of Christ, in the fact that we now live before God clean and pure and are accepted before him, never having to fear being cast out of his presence. That's the first thing he commands us to do in verse 22. The second thing is this. Look at verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Notice again how he begins with, let us. Uh, again, he's, he's calling us to action now, urging us to respond to what he said in verses 19 through 21. And his call to action is, let us hold fast or retain or hold on tightly to our confession of hope. And he says to do this without wavering or without leaning side to side or without bending or, or giving or falling away from this confession of hope. We are to hold fast our hope without wavering, he says here, because he who promised is faithful. So think about this. There, through the gospel of Jesus, through the good news of what Christ has done, God has made promises to his people. Think of, think of just a few of those promises. John three sixteen, 16, uh, for God so loved the world that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's a promise of God that whoever believes in Jesus should not perish but have eternal life. Uh, think of Romans eight twenty eight, that for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, all things work together for their good. Uh, I think prom there are promises upon promise in the New Testament. Promises from God that through our faith in Christ, that those promises belong to us. They are ours. God has promised those things to all who have faith in Christ. And so in this verse, he calls us to hold fast to our confession of hope. Or to hold fast to those promises, to, to not let go of them. And notice how he says that we hold fast to these promises, to our confession of hope, because he is faithful. He says, hold fast to these promises, not so that you may prove your faithfulness to God, but he says, hold fast to these because he who promised is faithful to keep his promises. My students who went to Kalahari, in this Christian life, there will be troubles. There are dark times ahead of you. And again, you adults in the room will, will attest to this. There are dark times ahead of you. At some point in time, there will be struggles. 
There will be times of pain and suffering. There will be times maybe even of questioning and of doubt. There may even be times of backsliding and struggling with sin. Times of spiritual dryness, when it feels as if God is not near, when it feels as if he's far away. The Christian life will not always be rainbows and butterflies. It won't always be like it was at Kalahari. But it's in those dark times, in those those struggles and in those, those valleys, that we must hold fast to our confession of hope without wavering. And again, the the promise and what he says here is not our faithfulness, but God's faithfulness to us. And that's ultimately where our hope comes from in those dark places. Our hope comes from not from our ability to keep our promises to God, but from his ability to keep his promises to us. Not from our unwavering faithfulness to him, but from his unwavering faithfulness to us through Christ Jesus. And so students and adults alike, in the dark times that will inevitably come, let us together as one body hold fast, hold tightly to the confession of hope. Let us hold fast to the the promises of God that are ours through Christ, knowing that he is faithful to fulfill his promises. That's the second command he gives us in this passage. Third and final command he gives us is in verse 24. And this one may just be the most important of them all. And it's this. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Notice again how he is, let us, another call to action for us as the people of God. And the call to action here, I think, is the most important because it binds the previous two commands together. The command here shows us the importance of community in the Christian life. It shows us that the first two commands to draw near to God and to hold fast our confession of hope, that those aren't just meant to be individual projects for us as Christians. It shows us that those commands he gives us to draw near to God, to hold fast our confession of hope, those are community projects for us as the people of God, as the church. Not only are we to draw near to God individually and personally, but we are to draw near to God together, corporately, as one body. Not only are we to personally remind ourselves of the promises of God and hold fast to our confession of hope. But we are to do that together as one body. And so students and adults alike, there will be times in your Christian life when you're struggling. Times when it's dark, when it feels hopeless, Times when you're struggling on your own to draw near to God. Times when your personal prayer and devotion times just feel fruitless and and empty and just kind of routine. And you wonder, why am I even doing this? 
There may be times when you're struggling to hold fast to that confession of hope. Times when you, you, you wonder, is God really faithful to his promises? And that's why we need each other. We need to regularly be in the presence of our brothers and sisters in Christ. So that together, as one people, we can draw near to God. So that together we can hold fast our confession of hope and remind one another of the faithfulness of God. So that together we can stir up one another and provoke one another to love and good works. So brothers and sisters in Christ, we are only so strong on our own. You need other Christians. You need older Christians. You need wiser Christians. You need more mature Christians. You need Christians who are smarter than you. You need Christians who have been there and done that. Students, that passion you feel and that that zeal and that excitement, keep that. Keep that. Don't let that go. And as you do, I pray that you would add wisdom from other believers in Christ to that passion and that zeal. And this is why it's so important to be a member of a local church. Evidently, when he wrote this, there were some people who were neglecting to meet together. He says, not neglecting, neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. It is difficult to live out the Christian life alone, apart from your brothers and sisters in Christ in the local church. So young people, students, do not neglect to meet together, as is the habit of so many of your peers. Do not neglect to be here on Wednesday nights, and maybe even more importantly, do not neglect to be here on Sunday mornings. In adults, the same thing goes for us. Do not neglect to meet together, as is the habit of so many. We need each other. Let us together, as one body, run this race called the Christian life. Let us together, as one body, draw near to God every Sunday. Let us together, as one body, confess our hope together. Let us together, as one body, stir up one another to love and good works. And all the more as we see the day drawing near. The day he's talking about is the return of Christ. All As that day nears, and it is, we don't know when it will come, but it will come, and it's drawing closer. As that day draws closer, we must not neglect to meet together as the body of Christ. And so, as we get ready to close here, I want to remind you of a couple things. Kalahari was awesome. It it really was. And I pray that the the passion and the excitement that you got from that, I pray that that would continue. And my prayer for you is that you would learn to carry out that passion and that excitement and that zeal every day in your Christian life. And that you would do that by faithfully And confidently drawing near to God through the blood of Christ. That you would hold fast the confession of your hope without wavering. And that together as one body we would draw near to God. That together as one body we would confess our hope. 
And that together, as one body, we would stir one another up to love and good works and encourage one another all the more as we see that day drawing near. Worship team, would you come forward as we close? I want to close together this morning by doing something a little bit differently. I want to close together by, as one body, confessing our hope. So here's what we're going to do together. We're going to read a portion of the Heidelberg Catechism. The Heidelberg Catechism was a a catechism written by a group of Christians in Germany in 1563. And so we're, we're, we're about to read something that's almost 500 years old, written by Christians in the midst of, of persecution. And so this catechism is in question and answer format, meaning that it gives a question and then, and then an answer or a response to that question. And I love this, and I wanted to do this today because I think this question and this answer perfectly encapsulates our hope as Christians, our confession of hope. So, together, we're going to stand as one body. I'm going to read the question out loud, and then together, as the people of God, we're going to stand and we're going to confess our hope together as we read out the answer to this question. And the part you'll read will be in italics. It is, it does get, it's longer than this, so bear with us. Um, So, as we close... Respond uh, by answering this question, the, the words in italics. Church, what is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not, not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. That's our hope that we just confess together. Let that be our confession now and always as a church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this hope that you've given us, for all the promises that are ours through Christ Jesus. God, thank you that together as one body, we can draw near to you in your holy presence this morning. And Lord, we just pray that we'd be transformed in your presence today. Lord, we thank you for the Kalahari retreat. We thank you for the safety that you granted us. We thank you for everything that you did in the lives of all the students there. We thank you for everything they learned, for the way you taught them and grew them, for the way they worshiped you and experienced you last week. And Father, my prayer for them is that their passion they feel now would continue every day. I pray that as a church, we would help them and walk alongside them, that together we would all learn to daily and faithfully draw near to your holy presence. Lord, bless this time as we sing now. Let us together as one body 
praise your holy name. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.